This is Steve Goodrich, known on the trail as Bird Shooter, and this is N2 Backpacking, a podcast for both hikers and backpackers. Hello backpackers, Bird Shooter here, and tonight I speak with 3Dub about his 2017 thru-hike on the Appalachian Trail. You might recall Philip from episode 7 or 35, and I really encourage you to go back and listen to episode 7, where 3Dub, also known as the Worldwide Wanderer, gives us his interesting backstory. But Philip returns in this episode to discuss his uh, recent experiences on the AT, and tell us what it's like to hike as an experienced yet 50-plus-year-old through hiker. I dropped uh, 3Dub off on the Appalachian Trail last year in late March, and since then he's dropped over 60 pounds. He's a lean, mean hiking machine, and he has a lot of knowledge to share about long-distance backpacking. As a bonus, we speak a few days before his departure to Europe, where he uh, plans to complete the Camino de Santiago, which runs through both France and Spain. And if that excites you, listen in, because he's revved and ready to go, and you'll hear that in the show. Here's episode 51. All right, this is Bird Shooter, and on the show tonight, we have a longtime friend of Bird Shooter, Philip, a.k.a. the Worldwide Wanderer, also known as 3Dub. He's been a guest on episode 35, the most inspirational hikers of all time. And way back in episode 7, where we talk about his backpacking travels around the world, and thus his trail name. Philip, good to have you back. Hey, cheers. So, Thanks for having me. even better to have you back right before you embark on another great long-distance journey, right after you finish the Appalachian Trail, or at least uh, uh, the majority of it, uh, and you're yeah. on the cusp of a major hike to Europe. Yeah, well, you know, I figure after I was resting from the uh, trail, from the from the AT, got, what, 1856? Um, now it's time to maybe try and knock out the Camino so, to Santiago. I, I like the way you're thinking. It's hard to believe that, um, or I have to believe that your energy level is very high right now because we talked you into a backpacking trip last weekend. You, you have a, a takeaway comment from our uh, hike last Saturday? Actually, it's a nice spot. Um, you know, uh, that was a darn easy jaunt, that's for sure. But, um, yeah, actually, that point out there in Strom Thurmond Lake, I'd never been there before. Uh, and we couldn't have hit a nice weather window, you know, compared to what we were looking at up in the Smokies. Yeah, and for the listeners, uh, we, we try to do a Klondike hike every year to get into the snow, but the weather was just not cooperating last weekend. There was a lot of rain headed for the Smokies, so we pulled an audible and headed down near uh, Augusta, Georgia, which um, just north of there is a lake called Strom Thurmond. And, and, and Philip, I was told by some people that are hiking with you that they could barely keep up with you because you were moving so fast. Uh, well, it's, you know, hey, I think it's really just more of a matter of, you know, the weight in my pack. You know, the, the one that, you know, along just, and you know this, you know, as well as anybody, if, if a long distance walk will teach you anything, it'll get those grams off your, off your back. 
Indeed. And it, all of us were sore after that uh, 12 mile hike and uh, it didn't even affect you and your through hiker legs, did it? And, uh, I mean, you know, um, you know, I mean, it, I don't know. It's surprising how fast you lose your trail legs when you come off the trail, especially when you have to do, I mean, you can probably keep up on the uh, grades a little bit better, but anything that's, you know, really quite steep, rocky or rooty, um, you know, it's almost like starting over sometimes when you go back out onto a steep section. Yeah, and so, I mean, let's talk about the AT for a second. So you finished last October. Um, you lost 60 pounds. Um, yeah. How much have you kept off uh, in the over the winter? Um, I've kept most of it off. I've probably gained at least 15. I might be closer to 20 now, but I'm probably around 15, 17 right now. Um, I'm hoping to shed all of that and maybe a little bit more on the on the walk coming up. Yeah, it'll be a little different on the Camino though, because food's going to be a lot more easily accessed than uh, when you were hiking the uh, AT, which, by all means, is not that quality, difficult. Yeah, well, I think the quality is going to be a bit better too. Um, you know, because the trail I'm going to be walking is, you know, I'm just going to be walking from town to town. And so it's not like I have to get off trail anywhere to go and get food. So, yeah, it, uh, but it will be less for me to carry on my back. But um, I plan on treating the Camino much like I did the AT. And, you know, when the weather's nice, I'd rather maybe try and camp out. Um, if the weather's not so nice, um, then, you know, stay at the albergues, um, you know, or any of the hostels around the way. It, it kind of depends, too, I guess, with who I'm, I'll be hiking with, if I meet anybody, you know, uh, if they can tolerate my personality or not. It just really depends on, you know, what might. Uh, but I'd like to treat it more like the AT, where it's part camping trip and part, you know, walking from town to town. Do you, do you want to just uh, give the listeners just a quick background on the Camino? Uh, they can actually listen to episode 30. Uh, I did a uh, podcast with Squatch. Uh, who has a really, really good uh, and entertaining um, documentary on the Camino. But uh, you want to just give uh, some basic background on the Camino? Uh, yeah, uh, there's a number of different routes. I think there's like 12 major routes in Spain and Portugal for the Camino de Santiago, which goes to Santiago de Compostela, which I guess is the name of the church, I think, in Santiago. So the main route, though, that everybody seems to take is from... Uh, just on the other side of the border, um, St. Jean, oh, geez, um, in France. I, I probably didn't say that right. And um, then you cross the Pyrenees into Spain, and it goes across northern Spain through Pamplona, Leon, uh, into uh, Santiago. And there are other routes, like the Camino de Portugal. Uh, there's another route south from Sevilla north, and I think from Valencia north as well. And I hear there are actually even, even routes uh, from Istanbul, Amsterdam, Paris, you know, um, other points in um, Switzerland. So, but yeah, the, the main one that everybody seems to do is the 500 miles of, uh, well, it was 800, 750 kilometers or so uh, from France to Santiago. And a lot of, um, a lot of people in order to be able to get a certificate will do like the last 100 kilometers in order to be able to get uh, the uh, Camino certificate. Gotcha. So. And, and the, the walk is essentially um, the way of St. James. Uh, so a, right. 
they, they I guess they believe that St. James was actually uh, at that church at the end of the route, and it was a Christian pilgrimage during the Middle Ages, and I guess uh, that tradition has kind of continued into the modern era. Do I have that correct? Yep, sure do. Um, and, you know, some of these routes, even though they're really ancient routes, you know, they've been paved over since. So a lot of the footpath is basically a footpath. Uh, some of it follows road. A lot of it might follow roads. Um, you know, there are uh, alternate routes that you can take, uh, either through the hills or you know in the forest or something on certain sections. Um, so, yeah, it it really kind of depends. I'm going to be going early, so the weather's probably going to be a bit colder and wetter uh, than you know, typical summer. Yeah, and I would think that the number of hikers would increase as the um as you get closer to summer, do you think that's accurate? Oh yeah, July, August, or sorry, June, July, August, September um, are probably the heaviest months. October, April, May, you know, are still busy, but they're lighter. And then March and April actually um, are starting to become more and more popular too. And you leave on Friday. Uh, just curious, you, you know, are there any other folks that you met on the AT that you uh, might run into on the Camino this year? Uh, you know, um, I don't believe so. I haven't really reached out to anybody, but everybody I've talked to, they're all working. So uh, <laughs> the only other person, yeah, the only other person, you know, up until what, um, a week or so ago, I was actually planning on doing the PCT. And um, I think Nightcrawler, and there was one other person I think that I hiked with last summer that was doing the PCT as well. I'm sure there's more. Um, it's just that those were the only two that I had heard of. Well, you know, you take six months off. I guess you got to kind of replenish the uh, the bank account there uh, sometimes. So I, I can appreciate that a lot of your fellow AT3 through hikers have uh, had to go back to work. Um, yeah, well, you know, all of them are planning on pretty much um, a good portion of the ones I hiked with are planning on trying to maybe do it next year. So To, to quote 30-pack, through hiking is addictive, brother. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, which, which is, I'm sure, is, why you're headed back out. Well, you know, there is something definitely redemptive and, uh, you know, and restorative about just a simple act of walking. Agreed. So uh, let's talk about the AT a little bit. Um, we, we were together in March. You asked me for a ride, actually, to the um, Appalachian Trail. Uh, we we started, I guess, with uh, pictures at Amicalola. And before yeah. we got there, though, you had attended the kickoff in Amicalola. You want to talk about the kickoff a little bit? Yeah, the first weekend in March usually is the kickoff for the season for AT through hikers, and that's usually, you know, March and April really are the two biggest months for people to begin the AT. Uh, May is also a big month. Typically, June, though, is when people usually are flopping from south to north, um, you know, from Maine. But usually the kickoff is really quite nice at Amicalola because you have Tent City where everybody can kind of get together. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, um, through hikers are there, tra trail angels are there. I mean, you know, Miss Janet's there. Uh, Odie's usually there. Um, all the manufacturers, ZPAX, um, has been there the last couple of years. Same with uh, uh, Jenny at Lightheart Gear. Also, uh, was it George Anti-Gravity, um, Charlie Awall, you know, all those guys. Uh, Etowah Gear, um, 
outfitters, those guys are always there. And it's always good to see them, too, because a lot of these cottage manufacturers um, really are a bit ahead of the curve of a lot of the, you know, uh, standard consumer uh, gear. And I think that's one thing. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not knocking Ospreys. I mean, I, I carry Ospreys as well, and those things are awesome. But I think there really is a, um, an argument to be made that there is something specific for through hiking. But it's not necessary, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I hiked many miles in an Osprey pack, and it, it was awesome. Well, you've definitely embraced the, uh, the uh, cottage industry movement because I think you had a handmade 20-pound uh, fully loaded pack this past weekend, and most of <laughs> us were pushing 40 and 50 pounds, right? So uh, yeah. well done in that regard. Well, you know, I mean, I, I think it's just a, a matter of, um, you know, if you guys were, were doing something similar, I can guarantee you, you would probably be trying to do anything and everything to try and keep every ounce off your back uh, because you really do feel it on every step. You know, um, everything on a long hike is accumulative uh, onto your body, whether it's, you know, overuse injuries, boredom, you know, there could be a number of things, but the miles they take their toll after a while. Yeah, agreed. So when you went to the kickoff, had you pretty much already committed to doing the Appalachian Trail, or were you still kind of kicking it around in your head and, and had not made the formal decision to go? Uh, actually, I had already decided to go. Um, all it really was for me was to, you know, I just picked up uh, a Z-Packs pack and tent. I wanted to talk to them about um, – you know, uh, some issues I was having with the pack. So I ended up talking to uh, Matt and sent my pack in for a couple of adjustments. <clears throat> um, I reviewed that in my, uh, on my video, but, uh, you, you want to give a quick, back. you want to give a quick plug for your uh, YouTube channel there? Uh, three dub. Uh, yeah. I just call it three dub. So I'll, I'll be kicking it off here pretty soon. I've got, I'm working with a videographer right now to, make sure I get the editing down and, um, you know, trying to get a trailer put together in an intro kind of thing. So, and that, that would be three W for the listeners. Are you, are you going to actually, uh, post videos from your Camino trip? Um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to plan on it. Yeah. So actually everybody that I talk to wants some kind of an update on a regular basis. So, uh, yeah. And besides I'll have Wi-Fi access every single day. Whether it's actually reasonable or not, I guess I'll pretty much find out. But um, I think, uh, you know, I should be able to at least, you know, load a, a video here or there at least two or three times a week. Yeah, cool. Awesome. So to get back to the kickoff quickly, because I, I really didn't know much about the AT kickoff. Um, did, did it influence you much to do the AT? I mean, the decision was already made for you, but did it uh, change your thinking I other other than gear? Well, anybody that's actually thinking of doing, you know, whether it's even just backpacking, they just uh, want to learn about through hiking or just the AT, uh, there's a number of different things. Yeah, definitely go. Um, one of the things that I like about it the most is you're amongst a number of people that are either getting ready to do the hike, so they're really excited. It really wears off onto you too. You know, you get excited for them, and you know you want to go walk with them as well. And so I think it's a great way. But being able to actually meet a lot of people within the Appalachian Trail community, um, you know, like I said, you know, Miss Janet, Odie, uh, there's many others um, um, 
I, I bet I just can't think of right now, you know, right off the top of my head, but there's dozens and dozens of them, and a lot of them come in, um, you know, to uh, Tent City and to, you know, to the state park. So it's a great way to, you know, meet these guys you may have heard about from some of the YouTube videos uh, or from other hikers, or, you know, also see some of the gear manufacturers, see what's kind of new and upcoming. You know, and even, you know, the cottage gear manufacturers are making changes and updates to their gear every year from feedback from people either like myself or other through hikers, you know, um, you know, cause they're also at trail days as well. Uh, but typically on the AT you have the, uh, kickoff, which is the first week in March. And then the third week in May is uh trail days. Those are the two like big AT events. Yeah. Now does everybody actually camp in Amicalola state park or do they camp outside of the park for the kickoff? Uh, no, they camp right there at Ten City. It's right across the street from the visitor center. I think it's like five dollars for the weekend. Okay. Uh, and usually, you know, Odie's bus is usually parked right there. That's usually a big bonfire. It's also a great way to also see other people's gear. Uh, you're going to see other uh, hikers out there either just testing their gear out. They're actually other through hikers getting ready to start, and they might, you know, uh, delay their start for a day to hang out with some of the gear manufacturers. Stuff like that. So, or some of the uh, uh, discussions that they have as well um, on, you know, that might affect the AT. Whether it's, you know, the pipeline they were talking about, um, you know, new new regulations that are, you know, uh, coming on board. Uh, how national and state parks are handling the uh, the flow of through hikers. Yeah, that was down my list to ask you about. Actually, I definitely wanted to talk to you about that. Um, but before we go there, um, you know, it wasn't long after the kickoff, I got a call from you and we had been backpacking, I think only a couple of weeks before the kickoff. I don't think you yeah. made any, any mention that we were that you were going to do the AT or that you were even thinking about it. I mean, at what well, point? Well, you know how it is sometimes with these things is, you know, I definitely, um, was thinking about it cause I'd actually been planning, uh, for months prior to leaving. Um, you know, getting gear, um, testing, you know, some of that stuff we tested out, you know, on that hike too. Um, but you know, I, I don't know about you. It's a little bit of a double-edged sword about, oh, darn, you know, who, am I going? Am I, am I not? Yes, I'm going. How do I get there? Also, you know, I was still working out a lot of trying logistics and stuff like that, um, and I actually, believe it or not, it meant to talk to you that week about it, but uh, I just skipped my mind. Yeah, no, I mean, I can I can appreciate all the things that go through your head right before you hike. Um, I mean, at what, at what point, you know, in the early stages of this, you really were pretty stealthy, even when you were on the trail about posting on Facebook or anything that you were um, essentially hiking you know, the distance of the entire East Coast. Um, at what point did you start to feel more comfortable with kind of making it public that you were whether you're doing a through hike? Uh, well, actually, it took me at least a month or two in order to be able to, I guess, feel comfortable about trying to get past Damascus, let alone, you know, get through North Carolina, Tennessee. Uh, but once I made it the first 80 miles, you know, to the border, you know, 78 miles to uh, Georgia, North Carolina, Bly Gap, um, actually I, I was feeling pretty good with myself, you know, and then that, that last three miles I had to do that didn't look too bad on the AWOL guy, just absolutely 
kicked my rear end. So by the time I got to, what is that, muskrat shelter or whatever it was. Yeah, right on the North Carolina border. Yeah, I just passed it. And, uh, boy, I tell you, I, I think that was like my first 15-mile day or so. But, you know, that was the first time I, I, I felt good that I'd done, you know, a decent distance day. Um, you know, pushed myself a little bit, felt okay. Um, and, you know, once I, it, it probably took me at least a month before I was like, you know, something, I, I can do this now. Uh, the first month, I was just really just trying to make sure I could, you know, maintain more than anything. And then once I came out of Damascus, I felt okay, even though I had a, a big blown shin. But um, I, I was, uh, I did okay, you know, when it came down to it. But I think my pace had more to do with that than anything. I, I gave myself some time to get used to the rigors of long distance hiking. Yeah, I mean, you're an experienced backpacker. You've hiked all around the world. Um, I, I'm sure that you met people on the Appalachian Trail that had a lot of experience. But what percentage of the people you started out with had little to none? Uh, pretty much the vast majority of them. Yeah, okay. Uh, I mean, that doesn't shock me, but I was just kind of curious if that's changed over the years. Well, um, it, it seemed like the more experienced people had, the more type of backpacking equipment that they had, whereas the people that had just gotten into it for the first time, I was really surprised some of these folks had never camped before and they had cottage manufacturers, you know, they, they were carrying MLD, Z-Packs, uh, but they had also, you know, researched and watched the YouTube videos and, um, you know, plenty of folks were buying Ospreys. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with an Osprey pack. Those things are awesome. Um, so, you know, just depending on what their budgets were. So I was kind of surprised because, you know, a lot of these uh, folks, you know, a lot of us through hikers, it's not like we may be homeless, but it's not like we're really that poor. <laughs> just, look at just look at our packs. Well, you know, the other thing I wanted to ask you, too, is, I mean, you and I are obviously not in our 20s anymore. Um, and uh, we don't hike probably as, as fast as maybe the younger folks do. Um, can you comment, first of all, on um, the, the, the age factor out there? Like, the, you know, the bulk of people, I'd guess, are still probably in their 20s and their 50s. Um, but then also uh, just what's it like for you to try to keep up with the, the younger folks? Because I know that you were in a group that was predominantly consistent of younger people, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say there were probably maybe only three or four people that I, I would say that I knew for a long period of time on the trail that were my age. There were a few that were older. There were a few uh, that were just younger. Whenever you start getting into the 40s, 50s, 60s, 40s and 50s, there's fewer and fewer people in that age group. But then once you start hitting 60s and 70s again, um, you start seeing, you know, uh, more and more of that group. Now, yeah, so I, I, th I thought the 50s age group was pretty well represented. That's not the case. It's more the, the retirees in their 60s. Yeah. I mean, there, there are a few of us out there. There are a few 40s. There are a few 50s. You know, um, it's. But you definitely see the 20s and the 60s and 70s. Okay, interesting. And um, is it true to say that a lot of people are grouping up? Or, or are there a lot of groups that are sort of kind of, 
I'm not necessarily saying they're hiking together every single minute, but they tend to stay in the same places or, you know, head into town well, at the same time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, even when I traveled, it was the same way. Um, you have similar routes that people follow uh, from city to city and countries. You know, the Appalachian Trail is no different. Um, you know, you, somebody might get in the day before and take a zero. You come in on the second day, they leave the next morning. You might leave either the same morning because you're not taking a zero, um, or you might take a zero and hang out. It just depends on the location, your timing, things like that. But um, I think I don't think anybody really should try to keep up with either anybody else or a group per se, though everybody kind of stays in. <clears throat> you know, if you're doing a 25-mile day and you don't want to, well, guess what? You know, you do a 20-mile day, they're five miles ahead of you. Um, you know, it. I, I never really worried so much about trying to uh, keep up with folks, even though, even if I wasn't able to keep up with them, I really miss them. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, I think that's the way it is with any, you know, trail family. But you pick people up and uh, they drop you off pretty much all up and down the trail, um, more so at the beginning than at the end. But as you start going through the trail and things, you know, the population starts to thin out, especially after Damascus. You know, you'll start noticing people that are more and more serious, you know, about, um, you know, hiking the whole trail or as as much as they can. Now, were the, I mean, obviously, there's a lot more people on the trail today than when I went through in the uh, early 90s. Um, were, were the crowds a problem as a northbound hiker? Did you ever wish you were going southbound? No, not necessarily so. I mean, I'm a pretty much a social person, so the crowds... Okay, they, they, they can be a bit of a problem, especially because a lot of the people, especially on the very, very beginning of the trail, might not necessarily be through hikers. Uh, I mean, you get a lot of people that, and I'm no different. Uh, even for the last 20 or 30 years, uh, when it's March and April, I, I would just, you and I have done this before, we'll just go up onto the trail and hang out and, and camp and talk to all the through hikers and, you know, uh, see what they're doing and, and things like that. So it's kind of exciting to be around them at that time. And I don't blame anybody who does that, but, you know, with the number and the crush of people at, you know, on the trail at the beginning, um, you know, it just adds, you know, to it. And, uh, but it's really nice to, you know, talk because a lot of these folks that are even just camping for the weekends or section hiking, they are really a, just a great source of information you know, for what's coming up, you know, maybe what you look for. Oh, this is something that's pretty cool along the way that you might want to see. Um, so right. it really, they really are a great ready resource for the local area. And, um, but yeah, with, with all the people at the, I, I have a tendency, everybody has a tendency to stay around the shelters, you know, be, mostly because of water more than anything else. Um, you know, the previous, you know, you can do without an inclement weather. That's when you want the shelter the most. Yeah, but, absolutely. Well, uh, you, you, you've, you've, you've got the social aspects that usually, uh, exactly. uh, just a, yeah, well, the social aspects, especially around the shelters. Um, I mean, and I know you enjoyed hanging out with some of the younger folks. I think you said that you had a kind of trail family that you dubbed the 30. Um, was it hard for you to kind of keep up with the younger folks or did your body kick in and, and you could without too much trouble? 
And, you know, um, yes and no. Um, I, I, like I said, I didn't really necessarily try and keep up with anybody per, per se. Um, not that I probably couldn't have, but then again, also at my age, I really probably should try and keep up with 30-year-olds. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, understand, too, um, I, I was, you know, fighting off shin splints on my right leg, heel, you know, plantar fasciitis on my, you know, uh, left heel, tendonitis and stress fractures all through your feet and legs. You know, it, it's just something that you have to kind of deal with. The only way that I knew how to deal with it was to just slow and steady. That's the biggest, I think, you know, advice that anybody that I got from, especially all the through hikers, uh, they basically just said, just slow down, just take your time, enjoy it. Um, and you know, fight for another day. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you won't meet a lot of people a year later that will tell you they wish they would have gone faster. You know, there are some, but there's not a lot, right? Most people say they wish they would have taken more time. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to be an FKT at any time soon or ever. (laughs) Fastest known time. Yeah. Hey, so tell me about trail days these days. I haven't been to trail days for um, quite a while. I'm looking forward to going back here uh, for my 25th uh, reunion. But uh, what 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 was your experience at trail days like? How, how was it like you thought it would be, and how was it different? Uh, well, you know, it, it had been 10 years since I had been, so it, had, it was considerably bigger. Um the it is a it is a big operation um you know now you have tent city off to the side of of town which is about half a mile or so minimum walk i guess you know into you know where main street and stuff is might be even a little bit more Uh, but then you go through the kiosk where the manufacturers and things are that's always a lot of fun because they're doing raffles and giveaways you get to see some of the gear um you know, that's actually a very good spot for people to, you know, re-up their gear if they're looking for a new piece of gear, um, especially backpacks, tarps, hammocks, and tents. Um, there were a few sleeping bags there, but it didn't seem to be nearly as many as the, you know, the shelters and, you know, backpacks and stuff. So, like, Hyperlite was there, Z-Packs was there, hammock gear was there, Jax or Better was there, um... God, everybody. I can't think of everybody, you know. I think uh, Vargo was there. So was Osprey. Actually, you know, uh, one thing that I did notice, too, uh, Osprey, Granite Gear, um, uh, Deuter had a big presence as well, Lecky. All of those guys had repair uh, shops and were repairing gear for a lot of their customers. And you know, that I thought was a great idea for a lot of these guys to, you know, if you got a busted strap on your pack, boom, you know, they have they have somebody there that can, you know, reattach it to your bag. Um, you know, stuff like that was just, I thought was great. Um, but then also the, you know, church org- organizations that volunteer, um, you know, to provide all sorts of services, especially laundry services, shower services, um, you know, just any kind of support that they might need. You know, really, Damascus is where you really find out um, where it really kind of seems to come together, even though you've seen it from town to town to town, um, you know, the community of the AT and what people do to help support 
you know, the Appalachian Trail, whether it's somebody that picks you up on a hitch into town or whether it's, you know, somebody that's, um, you know, providing a, a bunk, you know, in a hostel for you. Um, a lot of these folks, you know, are there. The community, it really is. I mean, it's a, it's a great way for information as well, talking to all of these folks. You might have gut hooks. You might have AWOL. But the thing is, is once you start talking to somebody that's either uh, been ahead of you, been behind you, you know, knows the area better than you, you're getting, you know, something that, you know, you just can't get anywhere else. Yeah, you know, honestly, I really enjoyed um, meeting some of the local townspeople, too. A lot of, you know, back in my day, anyway, they used to, they'd come to the pancake breakfast and uh, they would be at a lot of the events. And it was actually fun to meet and talk to some of them. Now, I don't know if that's still the case with, with the number of people that are in, uh, in Damascus now for trail days, they, the locals may flee. But um, that, is that fair to say? I mean, did, did you meet a lot of locals when you were there? Uh, yeah. Uh, and actually, a lot of the Appalachian Trail community actually, you know, uh, descends on Damascus as well for trail days. Um, you know, it's kind of bummed I wasn't going to be able to do Cascade Locks this year for the PCT. I was really geeked about that. <laughs> but, um, well, there's always next year, my friend, you know. I think I'd have to do that Sam's wife after. <laughs> um, <laughs> three, three summers in a row, yeah. You, uh, yeah, you might come home hey, to an empty house. Yeah, she's patient enough. Well, though... Um, when it comes to the locals, yeah, you know, these are some of the nicest folks you're really ever going to meet. That they would pick me up, a creepy old man, up on the side of the road at 10:30 at night um, and give me a place to stay, which did not just happen once; it happened multiple times. Um, you know, and, you know, the generosity of strangers is just amazing. That's one of the things that I think a lot of people really enjoy about the trail. Um, you know, you pop out of the trail, gorgeous morning, the sun's shining, perfect weather. Just put your thumb out and boom, the next thing you know, you're having a pancake breakfast. <laughs> now, you know, was Damascus your favorite trail town or did you have uh, one another that you liked even better? Oh, well, I think everybody has a bunch of different ones that are better. And I think it kind of depends on the timing um, and the weather. So uh, hot springs, man, every, everybody I was hiking with, we all love hot springs. Why? Because the weather was perfect. Uh, we all took a couple of zeros and, um, you know, the whole gang was together kind of thing. We had all just finished the smoky, so it felt like we were just basically went from winter to to summer and um we were all pretty beat up coming out of the smokies but uh hot springs oh jeez uh parisburg uh, a lot of places in um uh virginia god you know yeah there's just there's a lot you know there, there's a lot of great trail towns i mean the trail towns are they're part of the experience for sure well, one of the things, too, is I hit a lot of really small ones, like Lyme, New Hampshire, um, a really nice little town. Um, there's not a lot there, but, um, wow. I was yeah. by myself. Nobody else, there was no other hikers. It was just me, and um, I had two days of solitude, <laughs> a bed and breakfast, and it was just, you know, really nice. 
Did, did you uh, did you have a hostel that you particularly liked that you'd like to give a plug to? I mean, hostels come and go from year to year. There's some uh, like Miss Janet's. It's been around for quite a long time. Uh, but what, yeah. was there one that really stood out for you? Well, I understand um, Uncle Johnny just died too. Oh, I heard about that. That's right. Yeah, yeah he just passed. And that uh, was where was that? Where was that located? That's where in Tennessee. Okay, I was going to say Tennessee. I thought that's where it was. Yeah. So uh, that was actually a good one. Woods Hole, Four Pines, uh, Greasy Creek. Oh, jeez, Chet. Chet's in Lincoln, uh, New Hampshire. Chet's a real nice guy. Um, you know, Hiker Hostel also, uh, just on the other side of Moose Lockie. Uh, I mean, there's there's a ton of them, and all these folks are just the nicest people. And uh, and then when you go into some of the bigger towns, you know, then you're staying in like you know a Quality Inn or Travel Lodge or you know something like that. Was there a state that you uh, enjoyed the most? Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. Wow. Just all of it was just wow. Yeah, agreed. Um, Maine it, especially. How about it, the least? Did you have uh, one that you enjoyed the least? Um, well, no, not really. Um, because I really did enjoy all of it. Um, I didn't necessarily hate any of it. Um, just I have a tendency to take things slow, so it doesn't, you know, if I just bail and call an audible for the afternoon, then I'll, I'll be more than happy to do that. I don't, I'm not so, you know, fussed about mileage per day. Uh, some days, you know, you'll do 12 to 15. Other days you'll do 15 to 18. I throw a 20 in there a week, you know, once or twice a week, you know, before you know it, you've got a hundred miles or more a week. So, yeah, what, what do you think the longest day you had mileage-wise on the trail was? And, I mean, I'll give you, you know, I'll, I'll give you a break to some degree because, obviously, you know, you're, you're not a 22-year-old who can probably do insane miles. But uh, I bet you could still probably knock out some pretty good ones. Um, uh, actually, the longest day I did was the last day in the 100-mile wilderness, which was from Nanahasset uh, Lake. That's oh, beautiful. Region area to a ball bridge. And I think that's like 27 and a half miles. Wow, dude. That's, that's, that's an accomplishment. Definitely. Well, it was, it's pretty level, you know, it's roots and rocks, roots and rocks. But by that time you're so dang tired, you just want to get on with it. Um, and then, you know, I did a 25 mile slack pack before that. I mean, I'd, I'd done a number of 20, 22s, um, a, a bunch, you know, like I said, I try and at least squeeze one twenty miler in a day, or sorry, a week. Um, you know, maybe I'd get there, or maybe I'd, it'd be an eighteen instead of a twenty, or it might be a twenty-two instead of. So it just kind of depends on how it worked out. Right. Usually, now, usually the, it was usually the days I was uh, trying to see if I can get to town like early the following day, kind of thing. Sure. Were, were there were there any? Um... Any specific uh, mountaintops, balds, uh, views that completely blew you away? Well, Katahdin. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a gimme. Um, you know, I, I, I probably didn't see much of it just because it was 60-mile-an-hour winds and tears in my eyes. Um, you know, though, I would say 
the vast majority of the ones that you actually come across on the AT is really nice because you're in the tunnel for so long. It really is nice to be able to, um, but I would say all of the white, just hands down, all the white, just, oh my God, it was the best time of my life. Well, you you actually had a lot of luck getting work for stay, which, you know, with the number of through hikers on the trail these days, I would think it, that would be a challenge. But uh, you, would you have like five work for stays in the whites? Yeah, but I, I also hit it late, too. So there were two of them that were closed, and I just helped them close, and they just let me crash in the corner. Uh, um, and really, you know, um, and then the other three, you know, you know, you work for like about 30, 45 minutes, help them clean stuff up, uh, you know, finish up for the night. Uh, the, these folks are real nice, the volunteers uh, at the um, at the huts. You know, I gotta gotta give these guys some some chops. Uh, a bunch of you know young folks, and they just talking to them. I had a great time with these guys because they they rotate between some of the shelters, some of the huts. So uh, as I was hiking through, I might take a, a zero. You know, whether it's in Lincoln or um, what is it, uh, Twin Mountain or whatever it's called. And then they would move to another hut, and then I would hike another section of the whites, and then I would see them again. So it was kind of nice, uh, you know, catching up with them, you know, from it, – it, it took me a little over two weeks to do the whites, but I took my time. I completely uh, just took my time. I, <laughs> I spent days just sometimes just up on ridges and just wouldn't leave. Well, you, and you got pretty lucky with weather, if I remember right, too. Didn't you have really good weather through yeah. the whites? Yeah, well, that's why. Um, I tried to take as much of an advantage of the weather I was getting in Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. It was all just wow. I, I, yeah. I did. I really lucky. I really did. And when the weather turns on you in the whites, man, it can be in the White Mountains. It can be rough. Did you did you have a weather weather experience that was very challenging out there this uh, last year? Oh uh, yeah, the Smokies. Um, Twenty six inches of rain in like ten days. Oh, that's when I saw you right near Gatlinburg. And for the listeners, you can actually go to the uh, website and see a write-up I did about meeting you in Gatlinburg. You were drenched when you came rolling into town, and then it kept raining. You didn't leave for a few days, right? Yeah, well, I was, you know, I let the majority of the rain kind of pass. It rained like 10 inches for those two days that, you know, I saw you. Um, I took another day off. The guys I was hiking with, they actually went up uh, the day before me, and uh, they got three and a half miles, and they said it was absolutely miserable. So, um, you know, and then and the that's, day, that's a good and, point, though, Philip, because just because it quits raining doesn't mean that the trail and a river and that everything's soaking wet, right? Even if it's not raining, it can still be very wet, correct? Well, and not only that, it was also really cold. Um, you know, it, it didn't it didn't snow, but it was still you know, 37, 38 degrees during the day and raining, uh, literally inches a day. Um, a lot of times it would even rain at night, just buckets. In fact, we actually did get a little bit lucky going up to Clingman's that day. What's that, like about a 10-mile climb? Oh, yeah. Going over to uh, the Mount Collins shelter. And so we got a bit of a break except for a thunderstorm in the afternoon, but once everybody got to Mount Collins, uh, the ground was so saturated. It was, you know, basically I set my tent up in a puddle and, um, you know, Hey, Cuban fiber is waterproof. Yeah. <laughs> At least it was that night. 
you know, that, that's also where you got to really love those shelters because when it's wet, um, they are the best thing in the world. Well, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword. The ones in the Smokies, um, they are a little bit more enclosed than a lot of the other shelters on the AT, which they tend have a tendency to be more open. And you know how Trey Mountain is, uh, dude. The weather just blows straight into that shelter. Yeah. And um, there is no protection. So probably what most people really should try and understand is you're probably going to be warmer and drier in your tent uh, than maybe sticking to the shelter. Now, if it's a torrential downpour, well, if you don't want to get stuck in your tent, then stand in the shelter, but go back to your tent. Um, you'll definitely be much I mean, that's just what I've seen with a lot of, especially at the beginning of the trail, the shelters are so overrun, everybody's sleeping everywhere in bad weather, and I just don't understand why people just don't get into their tents and sleeping bags and they'd be wetter and drier, or sorry, uh, warmer and drier. Well, you haven't even mentioned all the little mice that are usually running around in a shelter, too. I, I definitely sleep better in my tent, hands down, but uh, there are times where I have no problem holding up in a shelter, believe me. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like I said, that's where water is, and that's why everybody usually sticks around to the uh, shelters. Is really more for water. Yeah. Um, you know, if you Did cowboy, you... then you carry the extra water with you. Hey, so while we're on the weather and, and rain and that sort of thing, did you have a moment on the trail where you were just really, you know, they always talk about the Virginia blues. Um, did you have a, a point where you were just really down uh, when you were hiking? Um, no, I don't think so, really. Uh, the Virginia Blues, I, I can see what people are talking about. Uh, you literally become a resident of Virginia, you know, for a while. <laughs> that's a long yeah. state on the AT, that's for sure. It is. but you know, It's like it's a, qu it's a quarter of the AT, basically, like one quarter yeah. of the entire Appalachian Trail is in Virginia. That's a fun state, though. Because uh, usually a lot of people are hitting it early summer. Um, you know, everything's really starting to get into the swing. Uh, there's a lot of creeks and rivers and stuff like that to, you know, play in. Uh, there's a lot of really good trail towns in Virginia. Um, you know, like I said, you know, Parisburg, Marion, um, Damascus. There's dozens of them. Um, well, and the trail gets a little easier in Virginia too, especially once you get out of the southern part of Virginia. So you really, you know, you can really start to knock out those miles, which is you nice. know something. After you know uh, doing this, when you look, when you start meeting Sobos, um, you know, in the Whites or just south of the Whites, uh, southbounders for the listeners. Yeah, yes, these guys have literally been put through the crucible right at the beginning. <laughs> Man. That's true. Very and, true. You know, and so this is definitely something to think about at my age, as cumulative as the trail can be on Novos, it gets more difficult once you start hitting, you know, New Hampshire, Southern Maine, um, before you hit the hundred mile wilderness. And it's no joke. And so Okay, the whole trail does prepare you for the worst part. And I'm telling you, I really enjoyed the whites, and that was only because of, you know, <laughs> 15 or so hundred miles it took for me to get there and train me to be able to, you know, um, maintain. 
Uh, yeah, the views from the whites are just insanely. If you have a nice day, anyway, it's it's a, the views are outstanding. Yeah, it, you can literally see un- all day long. Yeah, well, it's unfortunate too because a lot of people I talked to did not have that experience in the whites that I did, and they were really just like two weeks in front of me, or mm. a week in front of me. So when they went through uh, Mount Washington, uh, actually, some of the hike would be fine, but when they got to Washington to the top, of course, it's going to be kind of windy and cloudy and everything and then they go down to madison and then it clears up a little bit uh, just it just depends but yeah uh, it seems like a lot of everybody was telling me that they i did not know how lucky i was with how good the weather was and i was like well i'm not taking it for granted so was i mean the whites sound like they were the high point of your through hike uh, are there any other moments that were particularly good on the trip uh yeah i mean i really liked maine just because it's just wild it is just wild. Um, and it's very, very, very tough. It's rugged. It's definitely it, it rugged. Is. It's some tough hiking. There's, no, there's not a flat spot on the trail there, that's for sure. Now, so, um, so let's let, let's talk about Maine for a second, because I know you hiked uh, some chunks of it, but you still have um, about 300 miles to do in Maine. Um, I know you're going back. You'll probably go back after the Camino. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because it sounds like you went from being kind of at the fronter end of the pack to the very, very back of the pack, and you just flat out ran out of time, right? But you don't want to. You want to tell the listeners a little bit about how that transpired? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, um, it, it really depends on. You know, I never necessarily felt I had to. Number one complete every single mile of the trail um but that being said you also do want to hike every single mile of the trail so basically my advice to a lot of people that might want to do the trail in the future if for whatever reason you ever get off the trail make sure you get back to the very same spot uh to start back um there, but now, I, your your I your issue your issue was really speed. You just ran out of time, right? Like, I mean, you were right. you well, were basically well, late October, right? Yeah. Well, well, and I also had a time constraint as far as being back home at a certain time. But the thing is, is um, you know, it took me a little bit more time to really kind of get my feet under me. Number one, to lose enough weight to get in uh, good enough shape. Uh, I had lost almost 20 pounds before I started the trail, but still I, unless I really literally started a year before and just maintained uh, a regimen, which most people really don't, it's usually, you know, three months, six weeks to three months or so maybe before they start to trail, they seriously start to train. Um, And I, I did the same thing. I was you know, out on the trail every weekend trying to do, you know, seven, 10 mile uh, days which helps a lot. It really does. But when it comes to, you know, okay, I may have taken a couple of extra town stops. I may have taken a few extra zeros here and there, uh, things like that. It just depends on, you know, every person's hike, what they want to accomplish. And so if, you know, you really are looking to make sure you make this in a specific amount of time, then just be a little bit more regimented about your schedule, a little bit more uh, structured. Uh, Usually with me, I would 
try and be up by at least six o'clock in the morning and out by six thirty, seven o'clock, you know, uh, shortly thereafter, just to start the day. There were a few times I would start at four or five o'clock in the morning just to be able to try and have enough time in the day to be able to do the miles. Especially well, closer to the end of the year where the days are getting shorter. Well, I mean, I think the other thing that's very relevant, right, is you're not in your 20s. Um, you, you don't you don't move as quickly and recover as quickly as someone in your 20s. And um, I mean, I, I think that's just reality, right? Like, you know, someone in their 20s, right. if they get injured, they bounce back quickly, you know. Well, you know, though, um, I really did take a lot of the advice from the other, you know, experienced through hikers that I was hiking with uh, to heart. And believe it or not, a lot of the people I was hiking with did, too. Um, you know, all of us to a large degree did take a number of zeros. We, we did enjoy ourselves on the trail, um, because everybody realizes the zero days are just as important, you know, as, uh, trying to make as many miles as you can in a given week. So now whether you zero on the trail or whether you zero, you know, in town or, you know, whether you do a little bit of in-between, like stealth camp on the edge of town so that you can still. I, I see this a lot when people are waiting for packages uh, at the post office. Instead of staying at the hostel or staying at the hotel, they will find a spot just on the edge of town where they might be able to stealth camp and then um, not pay for accommodation. Um, that's the single best advice I can give anybody about the trail, try to mitigate, you know, your accommodation costs as much as possible. It definitely but, saves, but, saves you a lot of money, no question. Well, and, you know, that, yeah. I but, mean, you know, really sometimes, fun. sometimes, Philip, you got to treat yourself too, though, right? Because, um, no, you know, think, you're working pretty hard out there. You got to, you got to reward yourself once in a while. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I, I took three days, I think, in Lincoln, just because it was my birthday. <laughs> you got to be good to yourself, man. Absolutely. Well, you know, and also took like four days, I think, three days uh, for uh, 4th of July for uh, D.C. Excellent. Now, that's another thing that a lot of people do, will do is uh, try and get off the trail at Harper's Ferry, take the train in the 4th of July to uh, D.C. Um, if anybody gets an opportunity to do that, I definitely highly recommend it. That is exactly what I did, and I went to the beach at Ocean City, Maryland, and that was a great time, and it made me much more inspired to come back and start hiking again, believe it or not. Yeah, well, um, the thing is, is, I definitely wish I'd have maybe taken a couple of extra days um, to maybe do something like that, uh, because it was kind of rushed going into D.C., and I also had to kind of get shoes and stuff like that, and you know how it is, whenever you go into town, you're always doing chores so you're doing laundry you have to check into the hotel you have to get the uber wherever you're going to get you know shoes or you know because we went to rei and a couple of other places and, uh, uber uber didn't exist in my day uh it's kind of nice to have that option now although hitchhiking isn't particularly difficult you know well it, it was really kind of nice too that some of the folks that uh, i went with had never been to dc before and it was really kind of cool seeing D.C. through their eyes. Uh, I had been to D.C. dozens and dozens of times, and it kind of gets to be a little bit old hat. And then, you know, you go with people that haven't been there before, especially, you know, the younger guys, and, you know, they want to check this out. They want to check this out. And I was like, well, damn, I haven't seen that, so let's go. Um, so it was really cool, and uh, I had a good time. 
Hey, so of the people you hiked with, because I know you were at, at various times, and I know the group kind of ebbed and flowed, but um, what percentage of the 30 do you think finished the AT this year? Uh, I would think the vast majority. Um, oh, yeah? Okay. I mean, not whether it's actually 30, I would say it's probably maybe more like 15, 18. Um, you know, the 30 was kind of a, a loose number. Whether it was 30 or not, or whether it was more or not, nobody really knows. But, you know, hey, it was well, a big, yeah. we, we, you know how it is. It was a big, loose, you know, uh, trail family. Yeah, and I'm sure people come and go all the time, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and on that topic. The trail family I probably hadn't met, so I don't doubt that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, on that topic, how much did the social aspects of the trail keep you out there? Um do you think you would have, you think you could have done it if there was no, no one, I mean, if you were just out there and there was no other through hikers, you think you could do it? Actually, I think that would, that, that would probably be the actual toughest thing for any through hiker is the, the one thing I did learn, uh, I can't remember one of the through hikers that John Sahorian interviewed, I can't remember, uh, but he, he said something that I thought was very prescient. And he, you know, he said that, you know, that's where he learned that solitude was okay. And to some degree, I think I've hit some solitude. And that was one thing I was thinking about. Um, I would actually really challenge myself on the PCT was the solitude. Uh, I don't know if I've necessarily hit that yet. I don't have the experience that some of those guys have. So um, I don't know if I've necessarily really hit that uh, and on the at you see people every single day there wasn't a day that i did not see somebody else at least a yeah. few people um but that being said it, it's a big difference when you're hiking with 100 200 people at the start and then you see five or six you know at the end yeah yeah how was the appalachian trail exactly like you thought it would be and how it was to how was it totally different uh, yeah, I pretty, you know, we've been hiking the Appalachian Trail for how many years? So we have a good idea of what to expect as far as the terrain in the southern half. Uh, and then also the types of people that tend to backpack, camp, hunt, you know, it, it, outdoors people, you know, um, you know, we, we know, you know, what those folks are like. And it's just, there are peaks, right? So, <laughs> We have a lot, you know, if we're not talking about weather or shoes or bodily functions or, or gear or something like that, you know, uh, we have a bunch, bunch of topics to talk about. I mean, it, do, it, it, it um, doesn't sound like anything really surprised you. I mean, was there anything that was different than you thought it would be? The, the only thing that I, I think that really kind of, it didn't surprise me, but it was really more the accumulation of everything, whether it was the miles, the injuries, the pain, the boredom, the whatever it was. Um, you know, each one of these sections, anybody can do at any given time, but doing all the sections together, one after the other, that's really the trick. Um, you know, whether you do, you know, and, that, and that, that's why, you know, when it when it comes, it didn't necessarily surprise me. It just becomes more of a realization as you start going through the hike. Um, 
wow, now you know when you get into the middle of something like this, it's like, darn, I just hiked a thousand miles. Well, guess what? You got another 1,200 to go. So uh, you better put your, you know, no matter how sore you are at that thousand, you know you got another thousand to go. Yeah, how are things different post AT hike for you? Uh, yeah, it is a little different when you come back to the, uh, I guess if you want to call it the real world. Um, did you have a little bit of uh, shell shock, culture shock when you got off the trail permanently? Coming back to the Matrix. Well, yeah, is that uh, what they call it? They call it the Matrix. I like that. That's funny. Or the vortex. The vortex. Um, you, know, um, and, and, you know, I've talked to a few, a few of the guys I hiked with, you know, uh, this summer, and it seems like when, at least to me, and, and a couple of other people have told me, you know, they kind of felt the same way. I kind of became a little feral, like a stray cat. And, um, you know, for some reason, you know, I I think anybody that does the trail, you're always going to be pulled back to the trail or to the woods or something like that. That, that desire, I don't think, will probably ever leave. I'm sure there are folks, though, that do the trail and will never want to see another campsite again in their life. So, <laughs> That, that wasn't me. Yeah, I wouldn't expect it to I, be. I, I think, um, I don't think I've really actually assimilated myself back in yet um, because of the fact of, I guess maybe I'm a little feral. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Do you have any advice to uh, the listeners on planning a through hike? On, on, I think you've kind of hinted on what they need to do to enjoy one, but just on the planning. You want to talk about the Gut Hook app and some of the resources it used? Uh, yeah, um, I started with Gut Hook, the Anti-Gravity Guides, and the AWOL Guide. And I wanted to use them for a few different purposes uh, just to see how they worked. Uh, what I found was the uh, Anti-Gravity Guides were great, you know, ready resources right at your hand. You just put them in your pocket and they're right there. Um, the AWOL Guides I thought were really good for uh, daily planning. Uh, at night and were excellent for uh, town information. And then when it came to gut hooks, it was also good for daily planning um, and then also updates for water and any uh, you know, hostels or anything that might be going on on the trail. So, you know, if a uh, water sources run dry, most likely somebody's going to update gut hooks and say, look, this is dry. Just so, if anything, you can take a look at that camel up before you get there. Just walk by it, and then you know, make sure you hit the next uh, ready resource for water. Yeah, that's a great resource. I mean, for a section hiker as well, or even just somebody out for a couple of days, or really even out just for the day. I mean, yeah. I was not familiar with Gut Hook until I think we were uh, at the perch that time near um, Wolf Laurel, and you you showed me the uh, the app. That is very very good advice and a very cool app for sure. Hey, yeah, man, well, how, are, how are you going to make this up to your wife? You split for six months last year, and you're getting ready to split again. Um, how do you – what what are – how many flowers have you bought that woman? bought her one for, for Valentine's Day. <laughs> well, um, so I, you know, this is – You could take her with you. I guess we talked about that, that you offered to take her on the Camino with you, right? Well, yeah, she just couldn't make the, um, the schedule work out for right now. So basically I'm going to use this as a recon trip and then uh, either 
um, see if she can maybe find a couple of friends, you know, that want to go. I know she's got a couple of friends that want to do it as well. So if uh, she wants to do that, um, she can. If not, then uh, I'll go with her. You know, I don't have a problem, you know, with doing it again. But this time, I think I'm going to treat it a little bit more like the AT and try and see if I can do a little bit more camping. Um, you know, if you know, if I if I took her, I might camp once or twice. But if I'm only camping once or twice, then I probably won't even take the gear. Whereas, yeah, um, there's no point. Well, it, it definitely keeps your cost down too. Yeah, so. well, I'm I'm going also at a time of year where it's going to be low season. Um, I'm going to try and hit Chamonix, France, to to um, you know just basically check. I'd like to check out some of the Pyrenees and some of the GR5 um, uh, routes that are up there. I think that's what like 45 sections. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having a uh, post-European tour podcast with you, Philip, because uh, you've got you've got some uh, very interesting months ahead of you for sure. Well, one of the one of the things um, that I also really kind of yeah, I was actually planning on doing the PCT, but now upon reflection, doing this and it might be a little bit shorter of a time frame. This will give me a little bit, maybe as a taste of when I was in my 20s doing this exact same thing. So, <laughs> you know, it's literally a... when I would go for a vacation, I would go for months at a time. And, um, you know, I haven't been able to do that since my 20s. And this will be the first time I've had a chance to kind of come close to doing something like that. You know, the listeners can pop back to episode eight because you deal detail some of those uh, earlier ventures, which are very interesting. Um, you know, so I think with anything, whether it's the AT, you know, traveling, and I'm sure I mentioned it even, you know, uh, um, in that podcast was, you know, it's really more the people that, you know, okay, a place may be exotic, but it's the people that make the place. Um, and, you know, the stories that they tell you, you know, that that's the thing that I like the most, you know, sitting around the campfire, you know, and everybody telling their tales, you know, where they're from, what they do, just telling jokes, you know, um, you know, it's no different when you travel um, to whether you're hiking the AT or doing the Camino or whatever. Uh, it really is the people that, that, you know, make the difference. And, hey, the AT is, is it's, a, it's a nothing but a bunch of pointless ups, ups and downs, but if it wasn't for the people that were on the trail, you know, I'm sure there'd be a lot less people doing it. Agreed. Well, you have a very exciting summer ahead of you, Philip. Um, can I can I get one takeaway statement about your AT experience? If it was possible to sum up the whole summer into uh, just one statement, uh, could could you do that? I know that's almost a near impossible task. But... No, it's real easy. Do it. You'll never regret it. That's good advice, my man. Well, whether, hey, I really, whether, I whether really. Whether you do a hundred miles or all twenty-two hundred, just you know, just get out there and do it. You know, a lot of people might just do the first section of the trail because you know, hey, whether they want to hike, they want to party, or whatever it is, it, it, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I don't judge on that. It's, it's just a bunch of fun. But even still, you know, the, you know, just get out there and do it, and then you'll find out because. I, I treat traveling the same way. Um, it'll do two things for you. It'll make you a lot more aware or appreciative of where you come from, or it will also show you 
you know, that there are there is something special in all these places. Just do it. You sound like a Nike commercial there, Philip. Well, hey, <laughs> you'll never regret it. I'm telling you. I, 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 I regretted it. I, I agree, my man. Well, hey, thanks for being on the show. I look forward to following you. And again, the listeners can track you at your YouTube channel, 3W. No, it's just 3Dub, 3DUB. Oh, oh, Dub, D-U-B. So it isn't the three-letter W. Gotcha. Got you. Well, thanks, bud. I'll be I'll be following you across Europe this summer. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll keep in touch for sure. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Into Backpacking Podcast. This is your host, Bird Shooter, wishing you the best for your travels on the trail. To subscribe to this show, visit iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And give us a thumbs up or a positive comment while you're there. You can also download shows directly from intobackpacking.com. Just click the podcast tab on the main menu. Music for this show was provided by Jerris under a Creative Commons license and is titled Hillbilly Anarchy. This show is a production of Into Backpacking and is copyrighted by Into Ventures Inc. For more information on this podcast or to provide feedback or comments on this or future shows, please visit us at intobackpacking.com. That's the letter N, the number two, backpacking.com.